Welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. If you're a new listener, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I do recommend that new listeners go back and listen to the episodes in order, as they often build on each other. Our usual reminders as we begin. I am not an expert. I am just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and obsession with pattern finding. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor, and my intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor. Lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I do hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS, but what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. Last week, we had a great visit with Dr. Susan Peyrovi. I hope you enjoyed hearing her personal MS story and learning more about her as a doctor. And if you're a member of the flock, I know you enjoyed meeting her last Saturday. She'll be a regular participant, so please reach out with additional questions you may have at mymsflock at gmail.com, and we'll address those in a future episode. One thing in particular that Susan said in the interview that has stuck with me is just how critical belief is as a part of our healing. We all want to feel better, and yet often it's our own foot on the brake pedal often in the form of fear, doubt, or worry, that prevents us from getting there. What if we could truly let go of the perceived limitations that keep us from being our best and become better garden tenders of our minds? Today we'll be returning to our talk about mindset and we'll look at a few models and methods that we can use to develop more of a growth mindset, especially when faced with serious unchosen change, like an MS diagnosis, or the COVID-19 global pandemic. Today's gratitude is for Greta Hilde. Greta is a cranial sacral therapist. What's that, you say? You'll hear more about Greta and the cranial sacral therapy she offers that benefits folks with MS in a future episode, hopefully very soon. For now, you can think of cranial sacral therapy as a more gentle form of chiropractic adjustment, and yet a fully immersive, physically, mentally, and emotionally comprehensive approach to calming the central nervous system. Greta is an amazing practitioner I've been working with the last few years, and cranial sacral therapy with her has forever changed me for the better. And yet today, my gratitude for her is specifically because she taught me how to better listen to my body to reflect on areas of pain I experienced, to arrive at a deeper meaning and possible solution. And in general, taught me that having healing conversations with myself could assist me on my healing journey. She also taught me one of the powerful strategies I will share with you today, which is a method I've used widely over the past six months with a high level of success. So thank you, Greta, for helping me see the unseen, hear the unheard, and believe in the miraculous lessons residing within me, just waiting to be recognized, learned, released, and celebrated as I peel back the layers of my own MS story. 
Today, we're diving back into mindset to look at some practical applications we can use in our daily lives. If you recall, Carol Dweck defines mindset as how we face challenges and setbacks and the power of our beliefs. She believes that our mindset strongly affects both what we want and how successful we are in achieving it. Carol talks about fixed versus flexible mindsets, and according to Carol, people with growth mindsets believe that trying hard is the key to success. They embrace failures and learn what to do better next time. They're excited by challenges. When they struggle, they think not yet instead of I can't. They have grit or mental endurance, and they're better at managing stress. The good news is that usually our mindset is a combination of fixed and flexible, depending on the topic or circumstance. And even more good news, we have the power to change our mindsets and grow our brain to a place of more positivity. I like to think of this power to change as our personal toolbox. We all have, over the course of our lives, developed a unique toolbox to help us navigate life. Sometimes, when we look in our toolbox, we notice a tool we haven't used in a while. And tools, if not used by us, just won't get the job done on their own. So today, as you listen to the various strategies or tools shared, be thinking which ones make sense to add to your own personal toolbox. Or maybe you have some of your own tools in your toolbox that it's time to rediscover. As we begin our dive into more of this episode's content, I want to share a quote that I came across recently and increasingly more frequently these past few months that is highly relevant. Fear and love cannot occupy the same space. Many healers believe this, and it makes sense if you think about it. There are basically two extremes of human emotions, fear and love. Worry is a very close relative of fear and often thought of interchangeably. By nature, since fear and love live at the opposite ends of the human emotion spectrum, it's impossible to experience them both at the same time. Because of that, when we worry, we can actually force ourselves to shift back and forth between them, which is great news. When we allow ourselves to dwell or wallow in the fear or worry too long, we push love and all of the positive powers that come with love out of the realm of possibility. In a similar fashion, we can't be all in our heads ruminating while we feel love in our hearts. Greta taught me that a good way to stop my monkey brain from jumping from one thought haphazardly to the next is to do breathing exercises where I focus on seeing my in-breath expand my heart to make it bigger with the inhale and smaller with the release of the exhale. This actually works for me. Try it next time you're overwhelmed or too deeply mired in your thoughts. It sometimes takes me as long as eight breath cycles to quiet my mind, but it does work and is getting much easier with practice. Changing directions in our brains, I believe, is much easier once you master the ability to stop the racing thoughts. Then you can plan your next step forward in a better direction. Let's quickly test this theory of love and fear and dive into the first strategy of developing a growth mindset that is included in this episode. The first step is to feel the power of love. Get yourself in a comfortable position and close your eyes if it is safe to do so. 
Think of someone or something in your life that is easy to love and that you know very well. Choose something that has no worries attached. Maybe it's playing with your children or pet, cooking or dining with a loved one, or hiking, for example. Whatever you choose, but your happy place where you really feel love. Take a moment to remember how everything feels. The smiles, the laughter, the smells. Open your heart to feeling the love throughout your body and mind. Is there a smile already on your face? If not, put one there and inhale deeply through your nose. If you want some extra oxygen, place the tip of your tongue against the roof of your mouth and continue to breathe deeply. Are you starting to feel good? Usually people do. The positive energy is palpable. Push pause for a moment and really pay attention and take note to how this love sensation feels in your body. Now, the next step is to contrast love with worry. Gently put step one's memory aside and pick something from your current list of worries or fears. This is sadly often much easier for us. Hmm, what does that say about our natural tendencies as humans? Let's dabble for a moment in our worry. What are some of the reasons you worry about this issue? Think of at least two or three. Are there stressful to-dos attached to this worry? Things that remain undone or unsaid? Now again, press pause and check in with your body. How do you feel? Do you feel awesome like you're capable of handling anything that comes your way? Unlikely. Maybe you might feel a little differently than that. Deflated, perhaps? Compare this feeling to the feelings you had during step one. Which do you prefer? Which would you prefer to put out into the world as you interact with others? Which do you think would help you heal? Definitely something to ponder. Let's not stay in this place of worry now as the purpose is simply to learn to feel how rapidly our thoughts can impact our physical being. Go back now to your first memory of love. Smile, take a few deep breaths in through your nose, and exhale slowly out of your mouth. And again. Allow all those glorious feelings you felt when you were first imagining something that you love Make it a full sensory thing. Notice what it looks like, feels like, tastes like, sounds like. And if you're not already smiling, let your mouth form an easy, relaxed smile again. And if you enjoyed the extra oxygen boost of touching the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth, do that again and take another slow, deep breath. Hopefully, you are feeling the love again and can sense a real difference between the two in your body. Through our lives, many of us learn that worry is what you do when you love someone. You may have even heard people allude to parenting as walking through the world with your heart outside your body. The truth is, worry usually just fills us with more fear, which creates more thoughts of worry, which in turn creates even more fear. This worry energy weighs us down 
It clouds our reasoning and greatly decreases our power to resolve any situation and move forward with purpose. And get this, studies show that worrying is not at all efficient. In fact, only about 8% of what we worry about actually comes true. 8%. And think about it. Do you really remember what you were worrying about this time last year? The year before? 10 years ago? 20? Likely not. Or maybe you do remember up to 8% of the things you spent your valuable time on this planet worrying about that actually came to be. The things you worried about that didn't happen, though, those are likely harder to recall. The highly influential preacher Charles Spurgeon wisely said, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but only empties today of its strength. (sighs) Powerful. We need our strength to help us through our days, especially living with MS. If you imagine your toolbox is full of weakness, doubt, fear, and worry, those tools are likely not going to result in healing and keeping a strong growth mindset, right? Wouldn't love, belief, joy, and positivity be more powerful tools? Just as we must be responsible for building our flock and being an active participant in our healthcare decisions, we must also be responsible for filling our toolbox with the best tools for the job at hand. So when worry strikes, what can we try? One reliable way is to use love. And thankfully, most of us have a healthy bank account of stored up loving memories. This method doesn't only apply to our personal life, but it's effective in the workplace or anywhere else you might imagine. Some people get really good at toggling back and forth between love and fear and can use this ability to work quickly through fear. I'm definitely not there yet, but I'm working on it. And in case you're further along on this journey, I'll share an advanced step here. When you are worried, do this exercise like we did, and then add a fourth step. Take your worry or fear memory and embed it into your love memory. So for example, if you were worried about a recent argument with your spouse or a large medical bill, whatever it was, embed it into your love memory. For me, my love memory that I chose to focus on was laying out on the freshly mowed grass in the shade with my golden retriever, Ivy. So that physical therapy bill that wasn't covered by insurance that was my worry is now laying out on the lawn with Ivy and I. When the two are there together, interesting things can happen. Priorities in life become clearer. And if the worry or fear memory tries to replace or overpower the love memory, force yourself to repeat all the sensations you felt in your original love memory. All the sights, sounds, smells, and touches. Feeling this love should remind you that love is more powerful than fear. And with love, every problem can be matched with a solution. Use your imagination and have fun. This is an exercise worth practicing on a daily basis. If you're a worrier like me, this may take some time to rewire our brain patterns. Celebrate the incremental progress. And if you must worry, why not procrastinate? Procrastination gets a bad rap, as it's usually used in a negative light. But we can use procrastination as a powerful tool, too. 
In fact, one of our flock members, James, has really helped me with this over time. In our conversations, James will say, that sounds like a problem for future Katie to worry about. And it's so true. What's the hurry? Until we know differently and the worry is right upon us, it makes sense to not worry. Waiting to worry helps develop the habit of not worrying, and that helps us not be tempted to worry. Waiting also keeps our strength up and our mind prepped to better deal with the situation when it does happen. Worrying about it depletes that ability, so if it does happen, remember, 8%, we are less capable of handling it well. Another favorite quote of mine, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but gets you nowhere. I've been thinking a lot about mindset these past months, especially given our current challenge of COVID-19, which has been pretty anxiety-inducing. I typically am able to keep my anxiety under control, but this has been a challenging time for that. I won't get into the politics, origin, or other debate-inspiring aspects of COVID-19 here, but I do think that this current challenge provides a powerful opportunity to talk about mindset and how it can make things either better or worse for us. I'll admit that March was a pretty awful month for me. With a dear teacher friend in Shanghai, I was privy to what was coming since early January and using the John Hopkins University COVID-19 tracking site to watch the virus rapidly spread across the planet was pretty terrifying, and only got worse when most people I knew were still going on about life, completely oblivious about what was already in our midst. At some point, I did a search for anxiety and COVID-19, and found a tremendous resource that I believe was originally out of the Human Resources Department at the University of Colorado Boulder, although they have recently restructured their site and I was unable to locate it again. However, I've found it widely circulated other places online since then, so I'm not 100% that's the original source. I'll post the resource I'm referring to on the Patreon page for you. And this time, I'll make it visible to all, so even if you're not an official member of the flock, you'll be able to view it as you listen, if you desire. In addition, I'll describe the diagram here because I think it's a strong exemplar of how our mindset and actions can impact our mental and physical health, and a great representation of how we can change our mindset over time. The diagram is titled, Who Do I Want to Be in COVID-19? and it lists thoughts and behaviors that fit into the different categories or zones, ranging from the fear zone to the learning zone to the growth zone. When I share these, be gentle with yourself and others that you know, as some of the descriptors are things that may describe you or others. COVID-19 is something we haven't experienced in our lifetime. It's uncharted territory and it's brought up a lot of discourse for us as a country for sure, and globally as well. Challenging times are just that, challenging, and it's important that we be kind and patient with ourselves and others. Challenging times are also really effective teachers, and the lessons we face during challenging times present opportunities for us to grow in a lot of different ways and learn a lot about ourselves and our character. This diagram can help us better understand what we and others are experiencing and feeling 
as we navigate this seriously unpredictable, unchosen change. It's a natural tendency to try to see this chart as encouraging us to be the best in the top zone, the growth zone, for example. But here's the thing. The truth is that we are all likely a blend of the three zones, not just living in one of them. And that's not only okay, it's to be expected, especially given the nature of this particular challenge. What's most important is to be aware of where we are with our current thinking and have an open mind to explore other ways of dealing with the challenges we're facing, especially if we notice destructive patterns in our thinking where we're feeling stuck. It's natural that we will all continue to experience moments of fear, sadness, anger, irritation, failure, devastation, and loss. Yet it's also possible that we may find strength, optimism, promise, and many silver linings. I have already seen many silver linings from a friend who is really enjoying being able to work from home and spend more time with his wife and kids to people better understanding how life with chronic illness can be, where we can't do things and go places on a whim like we used to, where families are getting to know each other on a deeper level, where people are learning how to make sourdough bread and cook more meals at home, local distilleries are making ham sanitizer. The list goes on and on, and one thing that has helped me tremendously through this challenge is actively looking for, expecting, and celebrating those silver linings. On this chart I'm referring to, the first zone is the fear zone and includes things like, I hoard food, toilet paper, and medicines I don't need. I complain all the time. I transmit my anger and fear-related emotions to others. I forward all messages to others. Immediately when I read this, while in the depths of despair and quite anxious, I realized that when it came to COVID-19, I was maybe forwarding and sharing things, especially on social media, far too often. If I found an article that was relevant to a recent conversation, I forwarded it. Did I always check Snopes.com or other sources to ensure it was 100% factual first? Nope. So while I didn't hoard items or complain all the time, I was definitely exhibiting some aspects of fear. Does it make sense why I was doing that, especially since the majority of my family and friends did not have a friend abroad who acted as an early warning system for them like I had? I believe so, but I will also say that my mental health got a lot better when I decreased the frequency of those behaviors and tried to replace them with behaviors in the other two zones. Do I still forward some things? Absolutely. But now I try to read and research them thoroughly and then make a conscious decision to share. I try to communicate more like a Buddhist. And one of my favorite quotes about this is, before you speak, let your words pass through three gates. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? That's been a very helpful barometer for me in choosing what to share. Sometimes things are true and kind, but is it really necessary? The next zone is the learning zone. The learning zone includes things like, I stop compulsively consuming things that harm me, from food to news. I start letting go of things that are out of my control. I identify my emotions. 
I make myself aware of the situation and think about the best way to act. I verify information before I share it. I acknowledge everyone is trying their best. This zone is where I mostly try to live now and especially focus on doing more of these behaviors when I notice myself falling into a more negative place. I've drastically reduced my media intake, especially the panic-inducing headlines. I continue to research, doing so at times when I feel mentally resilient, and I now focus mostly on local news. That is not by any means because I only care about my town, but I try to focus more on my locus of control and let that drive my actions and beliefs. I do have relatives that are polar opposites than me regarding the virus, and that's been a challenge. But I am extending grace and hope they are doing the same. We each are entitled to our own opinion and have our own life experiences and beliefs that comprise our opinions. Lastly, let's look at the growth zone of the chart where it lists things like, I find a new purpose. I think of how I can help others. I use my skills to service ones in need. I show empathy to myself and others. I live in the present and focus on the future. I keep myself emotionally happy and transmit hope. I show gratefulness. I find ways to adapt to changes. I practice calmness, patience, relationships, and creativity. Deciding to finally launch this podcast amidst the pandemic has given me a new sense of purpose. I believe it's a way I can help others and also help myself find my voice. It keeps me pretty occupied time-wise, too. In my life, I often take the cheerleader or mascot role, enthusiastically helping others achieve their goals. And this is an opportunity to honor myself and help others. I more actively now also practice gratitude. And my mantra for this year is, in times of adversity, to bend like bamboo in the wind, not break. Who knew when I chose that in January what a year this would be? I'm proud to say that minus a pretty horrible panic attack in March, I've been channeling my inner bamboo and trying to live gracefully in the uncertain winds of 2020. Mindset can impact how we deal with living with MS, too. MS, similarly to COVID-19, is an unchosen change that often disrupts our lives quite a bit. It's not something we eagerly set out to do or get. It's a major disruptor to life, often arriving to say hello for the first time while we are in the prime of our lives. And sudden changes like that often create trauma and grief. If we react by not taking care of ourselves or criticizing or blaming ourselves, that only exacerbates the issue. Holding ourselves to unrealistic and frankly unhealthy standards, both in a time of COVID-19 and with regards to how we live with our MS, can only add to the trauma and grief. It's also normal to have our emotions fluctuate rapidly from one extreme to the other, and often without an identifiable trigger or rationale. If you're wondering why this happens and what's wrong with you, well, nothing is wrong. It's normal and you are human. Processing grief and trauma, especially from a negative, unchosen change, like an MS diagnosis or living in a world with COVID-19, 
takes time and often a support system as it is exhausting and often painful to process. On a side note, if you'd like to find an easy way to better identify other triggers in your life, I highly recommend the Spire Breathing Tracker. It's a small device that you wear, similar to a Fitbit, to get real-time alerts to notify you of underlying stress or tension before it even starts to affect your health. I wore one for almost a year, and it helped me to identify triggers so I could do something about them once and for all. I will say that some of the triggers surprised me, and I was glad I had someone to talk with about that. Be sure to reach out to your flock to both offer and receive support when needed. I also highly recommend seeing a professional therapist. When you find the right one for you, it's the best support ever. I only see mine once a month now, but each time we meet, I bring a list of current challenges to discuss, and I consistently emerge from those meetings with a clearer path forward. An important part of healing is to consciously recruit support and learn to ask for help. When we think about mindset and living with MS, what if we changed the topic in the chart I just described from COVID-19 to how I want to live with MS? For me, I had already been thinking about this and was envisioning a series of stepping stones. The first one is where I was around the time of my diagnosis and first serious exacerbations. That stepping stone was definitely a place of fear, uncertainty, and dependency. After I began to start healing through Dr. Peyrovi's course, I moved into a place of researching, learning, healing, and possibility. I felt a real sense of teamwork with Susan, and it was incredibly powerful to have her as a co-pilot. While I still dedicate a significant amount of time each day to researching, learning, and healing, I now mostly live on the third stepping stone, where I'm able to more easily speak my truth, have strengthened my self-advocacy and agency, started to assist others, and feel more in the driver's seat of my own care than ever. Opening my mind to all types of healing— my journey from a more fixed to a flexible mindset has enabled me to experience a wider range of treatment options that I previously would have never considered. Cranial sacral with Greta, for example. Learning to listen to our internal voice, our gut, our instincts. Those can be highly effective tools to help us begin a mindset shift. The last strategy I want to share today is the great news that we can also write new pathways in our brains. So if, (laughs) when, you find yourself stuck, panicked, or facing the same challenge over and over again in different areas of your life, there's actually a simple exercise that can really help. I learned about this tool from Greta. You'll meet her in a few weeks. It's from a workshop she took, and the creator's name is John F. Evans. I just got a related book he co-authored on the topic called Expressive Writing, Words That Heal. According to a recent email exchange I had with Greta, she wrote, This is a great exercise to practice with anything you are ruminating about. I define ruminating as being stuck in an eddy in the river. And this exercise pops you out of the eddy and allows you to continue flowing in the river of life. 
It's a powerful tool for increasing health as well. The simple tool that Greta shared with me has helped me get myself out of a major panic attack earlier this year, helped me assist a friend going through a breakup, helped a former teacher find a new job and manage the challenges of moving her family across country this summer amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. It's helped a member of an MS support group consider the pros and cons of accepting a new position at work, and helped a member of the flock create stronger boundaries with a family member who was not respecting her space. I even used it to help me get off the fence and make this podcast happen. I've been really surprised how well it's worked in every circumstance I've used it. I will walk you through the reflection sequence here, and I encourage you to try it out this week when you are either feeling anxious about something or need to make a decision and aren't sure which way to go. Let me know how it goes. And for our flock members on Patreon, I'll go ahead and post the template there so it's easily accessible for you. The most powerful way to do this is through journaling. But as I mentioned, I've also guided people through it where they just talk and I type their responses. Afterwards, we discuss and I'm able to send the person the transcript of what they said so they can continue to reflect on it and actually see the shift in mindset on the page embedded in the text. You can also just walk through the prompts in your mind, although I do feel that's less powerful, especially when you are just learning. I've done that in the middle of the night, though, a few times, and it's still been effective, albeit not quite. Anyways, here's the gist. You choose what is most bothering you and embed that into this sentence starter. When I think about dot dot dot, insert problem here, beyond that, there will be six prompts to be done in order. For each one, spend a good two minutes letting your ideas flow organically. Even if what you are thinking doesn't seem to make sense or be relevant, let it be heard. So much of healing is simply learning to listen to the messages being sent to us from within, and this exercise really helps with that. So anything that comes to mind is the right response. When you think you're done with each prompt, read it again and give yourself just a little more time to get anything remaining out. Many of us are uncomfortable with silence. And yet some of the real gems of knowledge live in the silence and can only be exposed through sitting in silence for a moment. As a young educator, one of my principals taught me this as an interview tactic. She referred to it as the empty drawer syndrome. Think about it. Do you have any empty drawers in your home? Most people don't. When we buy a new storage option, we tend to fill it. So in an interview, if you ask a question, get a response, and then sit with it for a moment in silence, the interviewee will often continue to speak. And those are often the things most helpful and enlightening to hear during an interview. They aren't the rehearsed pieces of information, but the authenticity being exposed. I use this strategy in conversation too. In fact, I often say, say more or tell me more when I'm speaking with someone so that I'm sure to truly understand what they are saying. All right, here we go. These are the six prompts to use. One, I am aware that. Two, 
I find myself paying attention to. Three, I accept that. Four, I have affection for. Five, I appreciate that. And six, I affirm that. The process is so simple, and yet its power should not be doubted. I encourage you to try it when facing any challenge, but especially one that involves mindset or something that you're ruminating on and can't seem to let go of or arrive at a favorable outcome. I also encourage you to share your experience with us. Last episode, we talked about how we are responsible for building our care teams. We are the lead bird in our flock most of the time. When we take responsibility for building our flock to intentionally surround ourselves with a flock that's helpful, caring, and knowledgeable, that's how we harness the power of others and truly kickstart our healing journey. And now I will add, when we take responsibility for our thoughts and rewrite healthier pathways in our brains, we can drastically impact our healing capability. Following this and every weekly podcast, I offer interactive Zoom sessions for our Patreon listeners to discuss the episode's topic with other members of the flock. I hope you will join us. Become a patron on patreon.com slash msflock for the Zoom session schedule and invitation link. Membership is only $1 a month to access these important weekly flockings, and you'll also gain even more access to great content like relevant show notes and resources, and the opportunity to be the first to learn about and participate in our MS pilot of our health website. Join us next week, where we'll finish out our initial mindset work by focusing on the power of gratitude. Feel free to submit questions, comments, or future podcast topics or guest ideas to mymsflock at gmail.com. Until next week, be thinking about how you can better develop your growth mindset to further fuel your healing. Which of these strategies that we talked about today resonate with you the most? Which will you try this week? I look forward to chatting with the flock about this on Saturday. Remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. As always, thank you for listening, and until next time, be well.